<laughs> I set you up for that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are you up for the challenge? Welcome to the seventh episode of the 313 Challenge. I'm your host, Ryan Fullen, and I'm here to challenge you to keep things simple and powerful. Can you boil down your messaging just to three sentences? How about down to one sentence? And ultimately, do you think you can do it in just three words? Well, this is what I've challenged people to do like you throughout my career as a speaker and a consultant around the world, and now I've brought the 313 Challenge from the stage to the studio. This week's guest is Dan Bennett. He is an antipreneur, and he's a founder of Cellcore Creative. He knows so much about storytelling that he tells stories about storytelling. <laughs> Join me as I put him in the 313 hot seat. Ladies and gentlemen, today we have a very special guest. His name is Dan Bennett. He comes to us all the way from Flint, Michigan, and he is a person who solves a problem that you might or might not have. Mr. Dan, how are you doing this morning? Hey, doing good, Ryan. Hey, so let's learn a little bit more about you. If you were to introduce yourself, and instead of just doing a standardized, here's who I am, where I'm from, I'm going to challenge you to tell me a story about you or your past that represents the person that you are. So it could be something from your youth. It could be from yesterday. But I'm a big believer that stories hold the keys to who we are. And so do you have any fun stories that tie into who you are and what you do that you can share with us? Um, I don't know if it's fun, but I definitely have a, <laughs> a default story that really explains kind of where I came from. All right. Um, Let's default it. I, I had a, uh, a teacher in high school say, hey, you're really good at drafting. You should go to college for that. And that's about the only influence I had on what to do for a career. Wow. Okay. Um, entering into that career, I found that I hated it. <laughs> mm -hmm. But there was some element that kept me there as long as I was. And when I left that career and started kind of soul-searching, I found out that design was the element of engineering that I actually liked. And then I just tenaciously started trying to figure out how I could make a living with design. Cool. Well, let's jump into the 313, if you were going to describe what it is, because I've got my own definition for it, and it's fun. It's almost like I need a 313 for the 313, which which is exciting, <laughs> right? <laughs> but if you were going to do a, a GTO, and we have this thing called the Grandma Timeout or the Grandpa Timeout, if you were to describe what the 313 is, how would you describe it to somebody who's like, yeah, that's Eminem's area code. What else is it? <laughs> right. Um, to me, what it's become is, um, a litmus test to see if someone's actually interested in, in me and what I do, or if they're just being nice and saying, hey, what do you do? And in the end, um, it almost equally saves me time as much as it saves the person who's asking the question, what do you do? <laughs> okay, so a, a litmus test. I like that. And a litmus test being, again, you're getting back to this uh, this doctor zone where you have a little tab and you put it in the water and it tells you if it's acidic or not, almost like right away. And it turns color. It's like a big acid yeah. or a not, right? Yep. So I think that that's an interesting analogy because the 313 in its origin came from the fact that people would just talk my ear off. And they just, if you've met anybody like that and you're like, hey, what do you do? And they're like, oh my gosh, let me tell you, I do this and 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 this. And after about the 17th, this, you are completely zoned out. And then when they get their attention, when they stop talking, you're kind of like, wait, what did you say? Uh, right. <laughs> and I think we've all been there, but I think we're on the flip side of the coin more often than not. Um, I don't know. Do you think that, we are aware of how much we talk or are we more aware of how much other people talk? That's kind of a $67,000 question right there. Yeah, it kind of comes back to everyone likes to be heard, you know, and that builds uh, a trust even on a minimal level in a relationship, even if you just met someone. Um, but I was completely unaware of how much I struggled and how long I went on trying to explain what my company does until me and you met. <laughs> so um, I think... Someone like myself who's intelligent and has a pretty good grasp of their talents and what they offer, still struggling to tell their story and convey to someone what they do, it's, it's got to be a majority of people who talk way too much and don't say much. <laughs> <laughs> it is an epidemic, a, a talkademic maybe, or a 
spieledemic or a rambledemic. I don't know. I like something like that. I like the, I like the endemic on there. But yeah. it's funny how much we focus, whether it's in education or amongst friends, like, you know, how much it is we say, well, what are we going to do and what is our why and how are we going to do it and when are we going to do it? But often there's very little teaching or there's really little focus on what you actually say when you're describing what you do. It's a sneaky question because when like, what do you do? It it just opens up this whole can of wheat and it's like, well, what do you mean? What do I do? Let me give you a full history. And, and it's kind of a, it's almost an anti mindfulness. I'm going to go down a little rabbit hole here. There's a book called the power of now. And I was recently emceeing an event in Orange County called the Eureka Festival, and they brought in a Greece. Uh, I'm sorry, they brought in the Princess of Greece. This is a real princess. This is like, like T.R. wearing high level, making impact on the world princess. And I was doing Phil Donahue running around with questions and and helping everybody get their questions out. My question was, what is the one book that has completely changed or influenced the way that you see the world? And she thought, and then she said. In her Greece accent, which I'm going to butcher, the power of now. I don't know what that was a mix of, but <laughs> but she basically said the power of now. And I actually picked up the book, started reading it, and remember how powerful it was, but then put it down. And I picked it up this weekend, and I and I was reading through it, and this whole concept of mindfulness is crazy. It's really the attention that you have as of right now. And I'm seeing a lot of ties between this 313 concept and mindfulness when it comes to conversation. When you have a conversation with someone, and as soon as they talk past that speed bump threshold of your attention span, you stop being mindful or in the presence of that conversation, and your mind literally starts to think of, where do they get that shirt? Oh my gosh, what what's what am I eating for lunch? Or uh, I wonder how long it's going to take me to get out of this situation. Like You start not being mindful in that conversation. And the power of now, or the power of conversation comes, I believe, within the dialogue between. And when you're engaged in a conversation, you're actually mindful and you're present. But as soon as the conversation gets lopsided, and if you're not in control of that lopsidedness, then it becomes a mess. Then you become just one of the 10 or 15 people that somebody met at a networking event. It blends all together, and then you just become a vanilla whitewash and fade into the background. Right. Absolutely. What do you think about that concept of mindfulness when it comes to conversation? So, conversational mindfulness. <laughs> um, I think it's something that uh, you know, as we're we're being raised by our parents and such, like it's not taught. You just absorb your environment, and you end up being a certain kind of conversationalist. And bumping into something um, as powerful as the three one three will shift your your mindset onto why that's important and then through you know obvious practice and then becoming habit you get way better at it and the two things that have hit me from this the most is uh time and trust and time's one thing we can't buy obviously so we're saving that by honing our stories down and trust is what you're gaining by not overpowering someone else with your conversation but actually including them in it and almost making them ask questions if they're actually interested you know why don't parents teach us how to explain what we do? I think about that a lot, actually. Um, I'm not a parent myself, but I do think about how early on habits are formed and how much more powerful people's lives would be if they were exposed to, you know, something like a 313 theory, but when they're a kid. <laughs> right. And no, that's interesting. Uh, actually, I haven't really thought about the 313 for kids. And the nice thing about it as a concept, and, and the 313 as a concept, it is fluid. Whatever your 313 is right now is what it is right now. It's in the moment. And if you decide to change things a little, or you grab insights about who you are, or you've become a different person tomorrow, or something influences your life, uh, whether it's a love loss or a, a natural disaster or an act of war, you become a different person. And the 313 gives you a tool to refresh whatever it is that you're communicating at that moment. And I think that the fluidity of that really makes it a method or a tool. And it's not just, well, what I'm doing today is what I'm doing today and what I'm doing tomorrow and the next year. Like, I think we all learn every day from the people and the places and the experiences that we have. It's such a 
such a linear what do you do it should be what are you currently doing <laughs> right but right. No, nobody asks that it it makes me think of a headshot like a, a headshot that's two or three years old yeah it still looks like you but is it really you <laughs> yep. your hair's a little like different that. you got a couple a couple less freckles you look a little bit less aged or less experienced but if you think about that we have this idea to cling on to maybe this idyllic idyllic idealistic uh, sort of what it is that we do and if we get asked that question we're prepared for it but if a life change occurs or six months pass or you get new clients and 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 you have this new revitalization of what you're doing how do you then tweak it and I think the 313 gives an opportunity to have that fluidity within how you're communicating and it gives you the option to change absolutely yeah and one thing I think about a lot when we first met and and talked um, you said something to the effect of, you know, we're trying to kill the elevator pitch. And I know part of that was uh, honing even further and, and using even less time to communicate. But I also feel like the elevator pitch is something that, you know, a lot of organizations say, memorize it, have it down, be able to pull it out at any time. But the 313 being fluid does allow you to have a, a real conversation instead of just regurgitating a script. Yeah. Okay, so let's tell people a little bit behind the scenes of the 313. It stands for your ability to break things down into three components and then put all of those components into one concept and then turn it into a uh, an analogy or a metaphor to describe the same situation in three words. So the 313 stands for three items that are all combined into one item that are combined into three words. So it will help you explain what you do in three sentences, one sentence, and three words. And it can be used as a tool to help engage in conversation in a way that is not just a one-sided ramble-bamble. And from what I believe, and I've tested this thousands of times, the three most important pieces of the information, whether... You are talking about who you are as a brand, whether it's the way that you carry yourself as a leader or how you are uh, implementing your sales or using your words to pitch ideas. It basically can be applied for branding, leadership, and then sales. And it comes down to three elements, I believe. The problem that's being solved, the solution, and the market. And people have been talking about this for years, like professors have talked about it. It's all in all these books. But I don't think that we've taken a close enough look at it because it really those three uncover it all. Because I, I like to believe that people don't care what you do. Sorry, Dan. I think that they only care about the problem that you solve. And that's how you get people interested. So let's let's talk for a little bit about the problems that you solve. And I say problems because I know that you solve more than one problem. But the challenge is to whittle it down to the biggest problem that you solve. And that's so hard to do, and it will constantly be in flux, but at a certain moment, you should be able to say, this is the biggest problem that I solve. So before we narrow it down to that, let's just sort of riff on the problems that you solve as an entrepreneur, as a person, as a human um, kind of style like that. So what, what are the problems that you're solving for people that they pay for? Um, I, I'm a metaphor man, so I often think of it as um, businesses are trying to communicate, right, no matter what platform that is, whether it's advertising or just storytelling or hiring or whatever. And I often see it as like a static TV, and my company will come in and just kind of turn that dial and get that channel to come in nice and clear because the message is already there, but the static is in the way of, you know, the end user getting that message. That was a good visual. I literally was thinking of the bunny ears that I would make yeah. using the, uh, you know, there was a difference in the type of hanger that we, you would use. The ones that were more, right. right, the ones that were more brass were not as effective, but when you get the metal one, that's a lot harder to turn, um, that, that, that would be where to, and if you take them and you wiggle them back and forth, a, a hanger, then it gets real hot and then it'll snap. That's the trick. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you just brought me back to tuning in. So this idea is that the problem is a, a business message comes through a bit staticky sometimes. Yeah. And you're able to to tweak and perfect that message so that it comes in crisp and clear. Regardless of what the message is, the delivery of it then is more clear. 
Absolutely, yeah, because a lot of our clients um, do have a story already, and we do sometimes help them craft that story as well, but most of the time the work comes in just trying to eliminate that static. Now, what I think is interesting about this conversation we're having right now is that we're almost 20 minutes into talking, and we have no idea what you do, but we're still engaged and interested because we're talking about the problem that you're solving. And again, yeah, and this, this happens in real life all the time for me now, man. I'm, I'm serious. Like, I look forward to someday being a, a case study for the 313 <laughs> method because I'm starting to near dozens of times having gone through this. So by the time that happens, maybe I'll be at the hundreds of times. And it just works, man. It just does. Yeah, and I can even feel that in the back of your mind, you're going, wait a minute, I still haven't even mentioned what it is that I do. But right. you can sort of feel the energy that people are actually somewhat curious. And yeah. there's this concept. I'm listening to, what is it, uh, Born Standing Up, and that's uh, that's the biography of Steve Martin. And it was referred to me off of another book I was reading by Josh Linkner about disciplined creativity and this idea that in order to really create um, reaction, whether it's laughing, whether it's inspiration, there's this conscient of concept of tension and then release. And whether or not you admit it, we all like a little bit of tension because it makes things more exciting. It makes us more mindful. It makes us look for, wait, what did he say? He's a storyteller. Wait, no, how, he's talking about a TV. So our brains like to put together puzzles. And when you are in a conversation and somebody's like, what do you do? It's actually a really fun exercise to tell people it's not really what I do that's important. And they're going to be like, what, what, what? Well, yep. yeah, it's, it's a problem that I solve. So let me tell you about that. And when that happens, people will engage and listen because you haven't just given it to them. They've got to work for a little bit. And it's just like somebody handing you a crossword puzzle that's already filled out. And you're like, this is not any fun. So hand, yep. you're, you're, we're basically letting people enjoy a crossword puzzle, engaging them, stimulating them, and getting them to start to guess on their own. So tell us more about some of these problems and then all of a sudden it's just going to like it's going to hit us and people go oh my gosh that's what he does yeah so working through um offering many things but trying to tell one story um it, it took a lot of work and a lot of that work went in even before you know the three-on-three method entered my life um but it exponentially sped up after that happened because of the clarity that comes with it so I was able to finally get to a point where I'm like, you know what we do? We help businesses and organizations who are terrible at storytelling do so more effectively. And we started getting clients that um, are already aware that they're struggling. So they're looking for someone already to help them tell that better story more effectively. And it makes our job easier because we can get right to work. Okay, so here's a, here's a, a, what is it? I'm trying to think. A psychedelic question, maybe. That's not the word I'm looking for, but we're just going to run with it. Do you believe that people are more likely to admit a problem on their own or more willing to identify with a problem that you solve, which they have? I do find that a lot of our clients and potential clients um, find a comfort in me bringing up things, <laughs> for sure. Right, okay. So, so I might le lean toward the latter. Because if you think about it, it's like, you know, you meet with somebody, and when you're in business and you have enough money to at least spend uh, some sort of your income on having other people help you out, like the, there's a certain point where if you're just a scrappy startup and you do everything by yourself, that's cool. But when you get to a point where there's revenue and you're actually reinvesting and you're growing, there's this concept that like, you're only spending money because you are having somebody else solve a problem that either you can't do or that you don't have the time for, right? Uh, let's take a totally opposite side of the, of the fence. If you don't have a car, you need a car. And if you've got money for a car, you're going out there and you're saying, I need a car. You're not saying the problem is I don't have a car. Right. And so if you think about the psychology of somebody who's buying, it's like, if I'm going to come up there, I, I want to present myself in a way that makes me feel good. Like, hey, I'm doing a great job. My business is booming. I've got some money to invest, and I really want to help improve my messaging. I want to improve my story. 
that's totally different than coming up to somebody with a bowed head and saying, Dan, I have to admit, I've got a problem. I, I can't seem to figure out how to clear the static on my message. I've already spent some money on it. I've tried it myself. Uh, I just I just can't do it. Right. Like there's a whole difference. Like one is you're presenting yourself in a way that is successful and you want to grow. But on the flip side, what's probably internally happening is that there there's some issues. They're not getting the sales that they want or the messaging isn't coming through. It's a totally different psychological way to to approach a conversation. And I think that this idea of you bringing up the problem that you solve, let somebody comfortably be like, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. That's now that you bring it up. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm after. It sort of lessens the blow of the reality of why they're actually searching for help. Absolutely, yeah, and it, it builds that trust quickly. I was talking about earlier, especially a lot of times just verbally in a pitch. I'll talk about how we've helped previous clients come to a realization that you got a great story, we're just not effectively telling it, and then they found success after and the relatability comes really quick there, and I don't have to spend days and days with them to gain that trust. Right. Then there's a technical aspect, right? Like you have these technical, refined in honed skills that you've spent years perfecting that I don't have the physical time to do because my expertise is somewhere else. So it's like icing on the cake. Yep. Okay, so the problem that you solve is that people are terrible about telling their stories of of – of what? Is it just their stories in general or is it their brand story or is it their um, their their marketing campaign? Story seems a bit broad. Is there a little bit more specific on the problem that we can get? I found over the years that a lot of things come underneath brand, which I know is kind of a wide topic in and of itself. Um, but whether someone's advertising or just trying to launch a new product or whatever, I, I kind of go before all of that and try and get to the origin of why are you even doing this? Why is it important? What's the passion you have behind this product or service that you think can help people and change their lives? And so no matter what the format is, the story really still is at the core, and that's what we try and find. And I know that still sounds kind of broad, but you give me one hour with someone, I can usually dig to the core and find out why they're doing what they're doing and what they're actually trying to accomplish, and then extrapolate that back or reverse engineer that back into whether it's advertising or a new website telling the story or whatever. Okay. Do you know what you just did right there? You described something I'm going to make up a word for called productception, like inception, yeah. but productception. Because what yeah. you just did, whether you realize it or not, and this is kind of crazy, at least I get crazy about this. The problem that you are solving at the root is helping other people communicate the problem that they solve. Exactly. I like it. This is crazy, right? If you think about it, like this is like a problem to problem situation. You're like, hey, you know, what do you do? Well, it's not what I do. It's a problem that I solve. And the problem that I solve is that you can't effectively share the problem that you solve with other people. I love it, dude. (laughs) I mean, and that's and then you said you spend an hour and you get to the heart of it. And then once you've got that trust built because you're quickly identifying the problem that you solve, and, and you're not just selling another service, you're actually helping them. You're helping them to clarify the problem that they solve with their customers so that the customers can have their problem solved. And it totally reinforces the fact that nobody cares what you do, not even your client. All they care about is how can they better communicate the problem that they solve. <laughs> I love it. That, yeah, this we're going to have to go back to this and uh, make something out of it because that's that's solid. Right? It's like if if you just took somebody who maybe is is confused about how to explain their idea and scrap the 313 for a second, but just say, okay, let's get to the core of the problem that you solve and then know that that problem is something that your customer has. Now, your goal is to not only convince them that you are really good at solving this problem, but the more you help them to realize that they just need to better communicate the problem that they solve, that's that's your that could be your entire sales process right there. And I have a system called permission-based pitching, and it somewhat has to do with if you just simply focus on the problem that you're solving, you can use that as a chain reaction to find out if you can actually help somebody. Because yeah. it makes me think of all the people that are even in your profession. There are 
thousands, if not millions of people that are doing this. But if they are all having an outbound message saying, this is what I do, it all sounds the exact same. It makes me think of, so, Dan, I need some advice. Now, this is for a friend. It's for a friend. I'm trying to help them out, okay? But here's the problem that they're having. (laughs) It's like, I see through you. It's really your problem. And you're too ashamed to say it, so you're saying it's your friend's air quote problem. And it's kind of that conversation where people are resistant to basically go like, yeah, I suck at doing this. <laughs> like Absolutely. Nobody wants to admit that. So if you take the onus and you say, look, I know people suck at this, <laughs> but this is what I have invested all my entire life in so that I am the best at it. And if you suck at it, which I know you do. I can help you out with it, right? (laughs) It may be more polite words. You want to know the reality? The reality is that business professionals are finding it harder and harder to break through the noise. But the real problem is that most of it is just that. It's noise. Now, what if you could gain more career success, more respect, and build a powerful digital presence by, wait for it, being your natural, flawed self instead of being perfect? My book, Ditch the Act, takes a strategic approach to this little-known secret to help you build a more authentic, long-lasting personal brand. Buy the book at ditchtheact.com or visit your local Barnes & Noble. So here we are, half an hour into the show, and we have no idea what you do. But we do, (laughs) because we know the problem that you solve. And for me, from a communication standpoint, that is exciting, because people who are listening are probably thinking like, Ryan, what the heck does he do? Or even better yet, they might have already looked you up online and found out for themselves. And that shows that they are like the tension is building, right? Right. So the problem you solve is helping people better communicate the problem that they solve. (laughs) Love it. Love it. Love it. Okay. And even if you say that to somebody, that's kind of going to put them for a trip because they're going to be like, wait a minute, what did he just do to me? What is the problem that I'm solving? Wait a minute. The reason why I'm calling him is because I can't seem to communicate my problem. This guy knows how to... It's just like, talk about standing out in a crowd if somebody goes to try to get three proposals, right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I I just had a meeting. I won't go fully uh, into it and waste too much time, but it's with a uh, client who sells coffee. They have a coffee brand. They roast really high-end, awesome people, yada, yada. And at the end of the meeting, what we found out was the problem they solve is a lot of people are bummed out and need a bright spot in their day. And whether it's in the coffee shop or wholesalers or restaurants that, that pour their beans, um, they just want to be a bright spot in someone's day. And it's interesting because it's got nothing to do with coffee, but I love it, you know. So that's what they were having trouble communicating, and we got to the core of it. Right. Okay, so here we go. What is it that you do then? <laughs> I, I kind of want to tease people more, but I kind of want to give some of the the meat on the bones. All so right, well let's let's actually let's te- let's tease them a little bit more, right? This is almost like a game show where they're getting more and more hints to the top of the triangle pyramid when somebody's going to win ten thousand dollars. <laughs> okay, so let's let, in the way to do that for anybody listening, if you're if you're thirty two minutes into it and you're like, I think I might know what he does, but I'm still not sure that. That tension within you, that is exactly what you want people to feel when you're talking with them because there's excitement. Oh, my gosh. Going back to Steve Martin, he had a very interesting approach, very interesting story. No way I could retell it real quick. But there was an epiphany that he had when in the late 60s, early 70s, most of the stand-up comedians all had punchlines. And this is something that you'd be like, okay, great. You know, the punchline, that's part of a joke. And it got to the point where these very famous comedians would even use what's called an anchor or a physical trigger to let people know this is the time that you're supposed to laugh. Right. Whether it's a whether it's a a hand over the stomach or hands out. And it was just ah, ha, ha, ha. So people started to laugh just based on the physical cues and not even as much on the humor and all of these these comedians started to essentially be the same type of, of, uh, of delivery. And he had this epiphany one time and he said, what if I remove the punchline? And this is actually really crazy that you think about it. Let's, let's say that the solution, what your solution is, boom, that's a punchline. 
right? Everybody's waiting for that punchline. Or when you're talking with somebody, you're like, I can't wait for it. I can't wait for it. Boom. This is what I do. There's a punchline. And you're like, however it's received. But what he started to do was he removed the punchlines. So it created this tension in the audience and the audience did not know when to laugh. And as soon as they expected that, that they were supposed to laugh, he'd like pull out a banana and squish it. And they'd be like, is that when I'm supposed to laugh? And then he'd turn around and he'd say uh, it, something like, okay, everyone close your eyes. I'm going to do a magic, quick, magic trick real quick. I am going to shrink myself on stage. Close your eyes. It all closes his eyes. He'd raise the microphone as high as possible and he'd say, open your eyes. And like the microphone's way over his head and it looks like he's small. And then they think that's when they're supposed to laugh. But then he jumps into the next thing. And what he ended up doing is that he would build up this tension in people that they didn't know when to laugh, but it would have to come out somewhere. And this is like, this is the single thing that kept him on stage and people loved it or they hated it, but they couldn't deny the fact that he was creating this crazy tension with an audience that was just used to laughing on cue. And I I never made that analogy before because I'm just reading this book. But your solution is the punchline. And if you give it too early, you take all of the steam out of the punchline. Yeah, absolutely. And and because communication is, which is still big enough, I think, right now, uh, part of, of what we do, having this communication with clients and potential clients uh, you know, again, builds that trust and it gets them um, feeling what it's like to story tell and wonder and have a little mystery and then finally figure out, you know, a solution. Oh my gosh. <clears throat> Listen to what you just said. You, you basically, the way that you're describing the problem that you're solving is in essence proof of your ability to solve the problem of storytelling. Exactly. <laughs> right? Like, there's a lot of stuff that's packed into this what do you do. Now, when it comes oh, to totally. when it comes to the brand, then from a leadership standpoint, you're able to give these talks that you give around the US, you're able to speak with authority, you're able to get people to understand your clarity and how you sort of, you know, lead your team or lead your clients like this client. You spend an hour leading them to a point as a leader so that they found out what that core message is. And at the same yeah. time, this process of tension and release is part of a sales process or part of a sales pitch. So this concept of a 313 is affecting how you are branding yourself, how you are leading your team and your your customers, and it is also your sales methodology. Like talk about Absolutely. a talk about a Swiss Army knife of a tool. Crazy. Okay, so here I, we I'm are. telling you, man, like I, I don't <laughs> I, I hate rah rah. I don't like fluff. I, I'm a pretty uh, yeah. You're a pretty rich. pretty non fluff kind of guy. <laughs> yeah, but I I will for the rest of my life talk about how the three one three method changed my life and my business because of gaining this focus and this honing. And I've been searching for years on how to do that. And then boom, you know, <laughs> the stars align, and I, I run across you know, your TED talk and, and dig a little deeper and I won't go all the way into it, but it really, really did shift everything. And now I walk away from different situations and people are like, man, that guy knows his stuff, but I don't know any more than I knew six months ago. <laughs> <laughs> I just know how to talk about it correctly. But what you know now is to hold back most of the information and let the conversation really happen uh, as it unfolds, almost like a very strategic comedic act holding back the punchline until they have so much tension built they're like just tell me what you do because it sounds like it's going to solve my problem absolutely all right 37 <laughs> wait 38 minutes into the show have you ever been on a show where you're 38 minutes into it and you have still not told people what you do <laughs> no and i i love it man this is perfect in my mind <laughs> Okay, so so let's actually instead let's let's keep the tension going. Instead of talking about the solution, why don't you talk to us about the market? Because this is again one of these three components. So the three one three for those of you who are still a little confused, I like it because that's some tension and gets you interested. <laughs> is it? It's your the problem that you solve in one sentence, the solution that you solve in one sentence and the market that you serve 
in one sentence. If you can lock those three things down, it will unlock the way that you can communicate your brand, that you can communicate your leadership, and that you can actually effectively sell or pitch ideas. So if we look at the problem, I think it's pretty clear we know what the problem is. People don't have um, success in telling their story in a clear way. They don't know how to communicate to their customers the problem that they solve. They might have a coffee product, but in actuality, the story they want to tell is that everybody needs a bright side of the day. Those are th- That's counterintuitive. But at the same time, many companies, the problems that they solve are not exactly related to the products. A high-end purse, for example, yes, it's an amazing piece of fashion, but is there something deeper that it's solving? Is it solving a status issue? Is it solving a self-esteem issue, right? If you're the the most, if you're driving the most uh, amazing car in the world, wait, the ultimate driving machine, are you really selling a car or are you selling the experience? So the problem that you solve is helping people to tell the stories that will essentially solve problems for the customers, right? So the solution, we're going to skip for a minute, but let's talk about the market. Who is it that has this specific problem? Does everybody have this problem? No. <laughs> <laughs> I set you up for that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So who's your, who's, um, your, who's your market? Who has yeah, this problem? The, what I've been able to hone it down to is uh, a lot of businesses and organizations struggle here. Um, and working with you and through the 313, it's like, okay, that's too broad. That's more than everyone type thing. How do we really get a target to begin and focus on? And so the next layer that we added on was these businesses are struggling to tell the story. It's easy for me to see. And then also they get to a point either working through me or they've been there already of having this admission of I have a problem and we need to solve it quick because we understand we're hemorrhaging money. We could be going out of business soon if we don't start effectively telling our story to the right people. Um, so my to keep with this like inception thing, my target market are businesses who don't know their target market well enough. <laughs> uh, oh my gosh. Did you just do what I think you just did? <laughs> Your target market are the businesses who don't know their target market. (laughs) (laughs) This is a pro this is a marketception. Like you've just taken it to a whole new level because at its core, I'm going to guess that the problem that most people solve for their clients is getting to the root of that problem for their clients. And the market is really uh, your target market is for people that are struggling to lock in that target market because they don't know the message that they're sharing to the right type of people. Yep. And as inception-like as it is, uh, the more I do it, the more I go through it with clients, potential clients, the easier it becomes and the more simplistic in nature it really becomes to understand for them and me. And I, I think that's an interesting point because the more you hear and the more you research and the more you explore the way that you communicate, the better you understand it. And I think a lot of people just don't really understand what they do. <laughs> if you take right. somebody and you're like, all right, forget about this 313 thing, but let's sit down and have a coffee. Like, what is it you actually do? They're probably going to list a number of things that they do. They're probably going to talk about how um, what they do is great for a huge amount of people. Uh, they're probably going to talk about a solution that is multi-faced, like if you say, well, what did you do today? Oh my gosh, I did this, 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 this. Like when you come home and give your update to your friends, your significant others, like what happened today? Whatever you say is kind of tied to the problem that you're solving. Kind of tied yeah. to the market. Who are you actually interfacing with? Because if you, uh, this is kind of a trip that I, I, I see sometimes and I'm curious your thoughts on it. All day, every day, 24 hours a day, people are either doing something or looking for something to do. And if you think about it, let's say that there's an event that's coming up, right? Once you know that this event is at 8 o'clock, you've got to prepare for it, you've got to get dressed for it, you got to get there, you got to get your parking, you got to show up. And that, that whole process seems like forever, right? And you're getting there, then maybe you're even waiting in line. This is tension that's being built. And all of a sudden, there's a one and a half hour event. And you're like, wow, this is like, 
everybody is prepared for this one and a half hours of the time that they're on stage or that the movie's happening. But then guess what? Once that time frame is over, you're like back to, well, now what? And you'll probably be in the now what as you get in your car and drive home and flip through different stuff and kind of like that time after the event might be two or three hours, right? And the time before might be an hour or two. But really, there's only this meat and potatoes of an hour and a half. So there's this idea of you're either getting ready to do something or you're doing something. And I feel that there's so much more time spent getting ready to do stuff than actually doing it. And it's an analogy to this conversation where it's like you really only need a very small amount of time to make those crazy connections. And then the rest can be a lighthearted, aloof, waiting in line, hanging out, no pressure situation. What do you think about that? Yeah, I definitely relate. Um, at the core of any business organization or whatever, it's all humans. And then beyond that, it's all individuals. And we have a tendency to make everything complex. And the people who are really good at simplifying the complex are the ones who win. <laughs> so um, I see a lot of businesses that can relate directly to that and how much effort is, what are we going to do, how are we going to do it, and all this stuff instead of actually executing a plan. And a lot of times I come in and people are like, wow, that's it? Just an, an hour and we're done? And I'm like, yeah, I got everything I need. You know, let's right. go. Well, I think that we're we're breaking the concept that if you talk more, it doesn't necessarily mean there's more value. Right. And I think that the idea around the less you say, the more profound you are, is almost mathematical. Because if I give you a hundred word dialogue, versus giving you one sentence, the amount of time that has been spent trying to decipher how all those hundred words come together and what it means for me, that's a lot of brain power. Yeah. But if you give it to me in one sentence, I'm able to clearly identify what that means to me and then have actual dialogue as a result of that. Questions, answers, um, more of a deep dive that becomes specific for what it means for me, essentially. Yeah, my, my two favorite things in the world right now are in any networking or conversational situation, uh, having someone say, what do you do? And me saying, you know, it's not really what I do. It's, it's a problem that I solve. <laughs> and they either look at me super weird and walk away, and I know we both save time. Or they're like, <laughs> what? Like, uh, okay, well, what's the problem you solve? And now they're in because they want to be. And those are my two favorite things. And I get one or the other every time I say that. So I love it. Right. And, and I would think that spending more time with less people in a networking environment that are high-value connections is better than the person that just sort of treats it a networking event as a cold call and just goes through their elevator pitch and then really is not as invested in the other person because it's just maybe not the right match. And that gets to the fact that you and what you do is not for everyone. And as soon as you tell people, like, you know, I only work with a certain group of people, well, what kind of people do you work with? Uh, it's probably not something that you're interested in. Well, what do you mean I'm not interested in it? Well, I mean, you know, my fees make people throw up in their mouth. <laughs> what, you don't <laughs> right. think I have money for that? Well, I'm not saying that you don't. I just don't want to waste your time. Well, you're not wasting my time. Let's talk. It's like you yeah. just you just basically brought people to a point where they're expecting throw up in the mouth fees and they want to know about it. They almost want to prove to the fact that like they can handle it as opposed to just talking at someone. Absolutely. And I, the more you hone it, and, you know, we talked about being fluid and it'll change and stuff, but the more you hone the, the basic components of the 313, I don't want this to sound negative, but it almost becomes like a fun game. It becomes that, that puzzle and stuff that we enjoy, like you were mentioning earlier, only in a business and sales kind of environment. And I have fun now telling people what I do and um, creating that intrigue, which then leads to a whole lot more serious meetings where they really want to be there. And I'm not wasting any time when it comes to that one hour of digging in. So the other week I started a Google Doc and it says Ryan Folden's Dictionary. Because I just make up so many words that I'm going <laughs> to eventually publish my it. own dictionary. And I just came up with another one. So you talked about 
basically how using the 313 communication is a bit gamified. So what about yeah. communification? Like a gamification. Uh, Communification. That's a hashtag for sure. Hashtag communification, right? It's this idea that if you think about it, we try to gamify most things because what? We know people will be more engaged. We know that they're going to pay more attention. We know that the the, the world of, uh, you know, the, what are some of these video games even? Like the Clash of Clans and like there's a gamification to it. Yes, you get coins when you mine a, a you know, a, a well that has gold in it and then you have to build a shack and you have to build a perimeter. You're just pushing buttons on a game and half of it is automatic. But the fact that it's gamified is more interesting. Conversation is not typically gamified. It's straightforward and that's what makes it so boring. And that's why pioneers in radio and pioneers in television shake up the fence. They Shaking up the fence doesn't even make sense. But I said it and I like it. I'm going to stick with it. Shake the fence, right? So, converfus... Wait. Communifus... Communification. <laughs> I like it. I do because, like, a lot of times going to networking events or pitching yourself to people, whatever it feels, especially if you're on the receiving end and you're listening, it feels like a, a hospital, you know, and I'd rather go to an arcade. So, wow. I like it. I like that. That See, just even that, you made me think of a sterile, crazy hospital. You'd rather go to an arcade. And I thought immediately to Chuck E. Cheese, although Chuck E. Cheese, if you're listening or if you have employees that are listening, you need to change your mascot because there's nothing scarier than a big rat, okay? Like, Mickey's cute, but your rat scares me, and I would be playing games, I'd hear the noise, the people would start singing, and I would run. I would hide under tables and cry. That's a side story. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so, yes, communication can be more like an arcade game, and communication can be like a sterile environment that is boring. Okay, Dan, you have made it 50, uh, wait a minute, I'm going to wait for 5, 4, 3, 2, building tension, 1. 51 minutes, 51 <laughs> minutes of conversation, right? And if you would have thought to yourself before the show, and sometimes people think like, how can you talk for an entire hour? Or like, what do you talk about? I'm not sure. I need to know what I'm going to talk about. We have talked about the problem that you solve, and we've talked about just barely who has the problem and we are 51 minutes into it and we don't even know what you do but like i feel like people are listening and they just want to know what the hell you do (laughs) so okay so let's 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 let them off the hook what is it that you do all right so the meat that people can usually sink their teeth into does come last kind of like it has today um, so, yeah, the problem we solve is that businesses and organizations struggle to dial in that static and, and tell those stories. Uh, the people that we target are, you know, again, the same uh, companies that realize they have a problem. They need to dial that in. They don't know what the target is, and we help them find that. And then through a one-on-one approach where we go on, we, you know, discover their passions, help them tell that core story. We then develop the medium that we tell that story with, So we offer high-end video production, digital media design, web, those sorts of things. Uh, The platform that it's going to go on, do you need an e-commerce website? Do you just need to rock the Instagram because you're visual? And then, you know, implement it in the direction of that target market that we've helped them discover. So the the meat on the bone is uh, video production and digital media design. Bam. (laughs) And, And I think I like I feel good about that. I'm like, yeah. And you know what? There's a number of people listening going, I knew it. I I guessed it. Yep, I knew he was a video guy. I knew it. I knew it. And you know what? Those people feel more invested in your idea. And they are excited because they found out themselves. Nobody wants to be told what the end of the movie is. They want to try to guess themselves. And when they figured out that they're right and that the lady who drowned in the freezing cold water in the abyss as she gave up her... Uh, her breathing system to the guy that would take her into the ship and then you thought she was going to die and then you knew that she'd come back but then you weren't sure and then she came back and you're like, I knew she was going to come back and then you feel really good about yourself. That's kind of what just happened. Yeah, beautiful (laughs) storytelling, man. That's what we're doing. Cool. Well, hey, this has been a lot of fun and and I am enjoying this new structure of this 313 because it's like, how long can we get people uh, to talk without actually telling what they do? But the fun part is that the actually telling people what you do is the simple part. 
The yeah. challenging part is building the tension around it so that you're not just some other video guy that's doing video editing, because I can go find that on Fiverr. But yeah. I trust that you are solving a problem, and I begin to trust that you might be able to help me. And then you probably take it all away and say, well, it's only for this type of certain person. I'm going to be like, well, how can I prove to you that that's really me? Because now you flip the whole coin on what it means. And it's again, it, it goes back to it's not just pitching. It's not just this eliminating the elevator conversation. It's a whole communication of yeah. the way that you express what you do, whether you have a business or not, you know, and I typically work with CEOs that are at the top of their game, but they still need some help in communicating what they do to create interest and get people wanting to know more to build that tension. Hashtag tension release. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, man. One word that has um, been said to me more since uh, going through the 313 than ever before is dang, D-A-N-G. <laughs> and I'm talking about CEOs all the way down to people with just an idea. And what it is is when I get to the end of this process with them, that whole idea that you just said of it's not just a video guy or a web guy, it's someone who actually cares to help me effectively tell the story, I oftentimes just get like, dang. dang. <laughs> like, wow. Okay, okay so, so here's, I, a mil- I get it. here's a million-dollar question. What is your middle name? Eric. Damn. Because I was thinking it was like D A N G, your name with the middle initial, like dang. <laughs> That'd be perfect. That would it's be. It's George now. It's George. It's George. You should be like, you know, it's just spell out my initial D A N G, because that's what you're going to say after you get the 313 from me. <laughs> yep. Wow. Well, hey, this is tons of fun. Keep solving problems and keep doing it in a way that's simple and make sure that you're only doing it for people that are within your target market because you're not for everyone. You're not for anyone. You're solving problems for people who have those specific problems. Woo. Okay. Absolutely. 313 for life. 313 for life. Hashtag communication. <laughs> Enjoy it. Dang. As in D-A-N-G. <laughs> Thanks, Dan, for braving the 313. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in to another 313 challenge. If you are up for the challenge yourself, I have an idea for you. It's called go to ryan.online forward slash 313me and you can apply to be in the hot seat. You can also keep up with every single 313 challenge by subscribing on your favorite app. Make sure to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if you love it and connect with me on social media or just follow the hashtag 313challenge. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, keep it simple.